the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab pre-Thanksgiving edition, episode 580 for Sunday, November 22nd, 2015. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We share it all. We answer your questions. We share advice. The goal is for everyone to learn at least three new things each. And every time we get together, sponsors for this episode include Squarespace at squarespace.com MGG, where you can build a gorgeous website no matter what your skill level. Uh, let's see, Casper at Casper.com slash MGG, where you can then use coupon code MGG to save yourself 50 bucks off of some of the best mattresses I've ever experienced. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. And Drobo, where at DroboStore.com, you can get a coupon code, which I will tell you about later so that you listen and learn exactly what it's for and save a hundred bucks getting you a, uh, a Drobo for uh, for less than 200 bucks, if you so desire. We'll talk all about that shortly here. And here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fearful, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. And, and here in another part of Durham, New Hampshire, is Pilot Pete. Thanks for having me back, guys. I almost forgot how to get here. It's, it's good to have you <laughs> back, my friend. Yeah, it's been yeah, too long. Way too long. Yeah. yeah. Busy. Yeah, we're all excited to have you, man. Thank you. It's um, it's always it's always good, always always. So, Dave, I think this is kind of relevant. And not that that's ever been a factor <laughs> in the past, but let's go. <laughs> well, I thought I'd bring this up because you actually questioned me about this, so I actually got a pre-Thanksgiving gift, Dave. And that um, was, and it was from Verizon. I got an email from them and they said, Hey, uh, you know, because of the plan that you're on, my understanding is not all the plans are like, you know what? We're going to give you an extra gig of data this month. The reason it's relevant is because how did I know this? So, you know, I signed up, you know, they sent me an email. I went to my account and clicked on the button. And then all of a sudden I had more data. How did I know I had more data? Is that the widget that I have, um, and that's the relevant part that I think is that the widget that I have in my notification center showed me that I had not one, but now two gigs of data this month. Normally I have one. And then that led to a question that I think you asked on the Facebooks um, saying, you have a widget that tells you about your data and at least Verizon. Now the thing is, as far as I can tell, not all, um, yeah, not AT&T, all providers. Does not, AT&T does not have a widget or no, at least not with the my AT&T app, which is the one that I have installed. I've never heard of AT&T having a widget. No, there's no widget, but there is a data thing in there to tell you who's on who's used which amount of data. And the cool thing is you can turn them off. You can turn them off. That's right. On a family plan. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So uh, that's um, I like that's awesome, John, that you can see your data usage right there. You yeah. don't have to launch the app. And so if you go into notification center, uh, the way you should be able to access it and see what other widgets you have installed is go to notification center. And then there's an edit button on the bottom. And then I saw a widget called my Verizon data. And uh, if you choose to display that, it'll show you in, you know, in real time, how much data you've consumed for that period. Um, Though I got to admit that I found that, and this is also while you and I were traveling, is that there is another one that I use here, and it's a bit more predictive called Data Man. And I would also recommend that for people. That 
will also monitor your data usage. It actually was interesting because when you and I had traveled recently because my um, data usage uh, increased, relatively speaking, at a higher rate, it started warning me. It's like, whoa, whoa, man, you're consuming a lot of data here. If you keep this up, you're, you're going to blow past your, uh, your data cap. And it shows you how much you do on Wi-Fi, too. So um, right. two tools there you, might, you may want to use, especially if you're on the road and you're consuming lots of data to uh, make sure you, uh, you don't go crazy. That's the uh, your wallet. Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah. I, I, data man. And they have a, a widget, too. Right. And they've also got a watch app. So it's uh, it's you can see it from wherever you want to see it. Handy, handy stuff. Hey, while we're on the subject, let's do a couple of cool stuff found items this week. We've been alternating back and forth, as uh, as you folks know. And this week, we're going to go to the listeners. That's you. And share some things that you folks found. One very timely. This ends, I believe, on Friday, which here in the U.S. is Black Friday. It may be Black Friday elsewhere in the, in the uh, country, too, or in the world, I should say. Uh, listener Mark reports that uh, he saw a deal and we've got a link for you where drive genius among many other apps is sold in a bundle for 39 bucks. I think it's eight apps. It might even be up to 10. Now it's through stack social and, uh, and we've got a link for you to use from our Mac observer Deals site. But uh, if you've ever wanted drive genius before 39 bucks, man, and you're good to go. And there's some other fantastic apps in this bundle as well. So we'll put that link in the show notes because uh, you should take advantage of this. This is a, this is a good deal. So thank you, Mark, for sharing that good, good stuff. Next on the cool stuff found list from Greg, uh, you know, there's, there's, um, the cool thing is, of course, with the Apple TV now, there are apps out there for it. And discovery of these apps is not an easy thing. So thank you to everyone who suggests some of them. And we'll talk about talk about one of them shortly here. But uh, Greg shares and I need to find it in his email. Oh, yeah. He says, uh, by the way, I, I, uh, I'm really liking the new Apple TV. I'm even using it to take exercise classes. I downloaded an app called Zova, Z-O-V-A, and I've been doing that every day for at least 20 to 30 minutes. It looks like my Roku is retired, although it served me well. I'm curious how you feel about that in about six months, uh, Greg. I, well, I, you know, it's, it's it, the Apple TV is new and shiny and all of that. Um, and it may well hold up. Uh, you know, I don't I don't say that with any prediction. I just say it with curiosity. I've got an ignorance question. Does yeah. the Apple TV support Plex? Yes, Very we'll cool. talk. Okay. We'll talk about that. In okay. fact, we have a couple of questions about that coming up. Oh, good. Yeah. But you, yeah, we've talked about that on a couple of recent episodes. Yeah. I know you've been traveling. Sorry, but yeah, no, no ignorant questions. <laughs> Plex was one of the first apps out for the Apple okay. TV. Yeah. Okay. And it works. <laughs> it works really well. Nice. So, yep. Moving on to listener Jason, uh, he has three cool stuff founds for us. Uh, let's see. One, the first is called MacUp, M-A-C-K-U-P. Uh, it backs up all your application settings in a safe directory, uh, Dropbox, iCloud, Google Drive. Uh, it syncs your application settings amongst all your workstations. It restores your configuration on any fresh install in one command. And then by only tracking pure config files, it keeps the junk out of your freshly new installed workstation. No caches, no temporary and locally specific files are transferred. 
Uh, it uses symbolic links to get this done. So very, uh, very cool. I'm trying to find a link for it now that we can put in the show notes and uh, we'll have to, uh, we'll have to dig a little bit deeper, but it'll, it'll be there. Cause that's what we do. The second thing that Jason mentioned is called carabiner, which is a powerful and stable keyboard customizer for OS 10. Uh, it goes beyond keyboard customizations as well. Jason says, I use it for customizing the buttons on my Logitech mouse, way more powerful than the Logitech software. With custom XML, you can map buttons to keys and key combinations, as well as key combinations to new key combinations. Uh, combinations can be made device and or software specific. For example, in Pixelmator, keys become key macros for me. He says, I use an old key keyboard, still enjoy my mechanical keys for my Mac desktop. And I use this to map Windows keys to map to Mac keys. Uh, you're only limited to your ideas. As far as I can tell, it also has extension support, including force touch and multi-touch surface though I don't have the hardware to test this on personally. You know, I have been using um, uh, the Apple's new magic trackpad. I picked up one of those when I was at the Apple store and it's interesting. I mean, it's, you know, of course it's, it's bizarre and, and people with MacBooks, uh, new MacBooks know this, you know, it's bizarre clicking on something and having it feel like it's clicked. And it's only just uh, haptic feedback that gives you that sensation. It's it's very bizarre because when the, the computer's off, you don't get the feeling of clicking. Uh, so it's it's it, but it's very interesting. And I've been using a uh, better touch tool for uh, for this, but I'm going to check out Carabiner too. So, th but the new the new Magic Trackpad is is interesting. John, you haven't you you don't have one, right? You you you're a you're a trackball guy, is that right? Uh, currently, yes. Okay. Okay. So the desktop yeah. and the keyboard, you know, I'm actually considering um, getting a different keyboard. I'll talk more about it. I'm, I'm researching uh, okay. keyboards here for a variety of reasons. Okay, cool. Uh, and then one last thing from uh, Jason in this big email is called Homebrew Cask. He says Homebrew Cask extends Homebrew and brings its elegance, simplicity and speed to OS 10 applications and large binaries alike. He says, I heard you guys talking about Homebrew, which I love. Uh, and he says, I wanted to add Cask to the list of advantages. He says this works especially great after a nuke and pave. So what Cask does, and then I'll, I'll continue with Jason's explanation here. But what Cask does is it allows you to install uh Lots of things with homebrew, including applications for your Mac, like text expander or Dropbox or really anything that can be pulled down from a uh, from a software vendor. Uh, normally, homebrew is limited to command line stuff, but with Cask, you can install all kinds of extra things. And where this gets really handy is, and now I'll continue with Jason's explanation. He says, just create a quick shell script to run all of the brew cask install app commands. Then you install OS 10. Then you run the script and you walk away. You come back, Dropbox is installed, combined with Mac up, combined with text expander, combined with all this stuff. So it's a great way to get all of these apps onto your Mac without having to go and manually download and, and then drag to the applications folder, each and every one of them. So again, you know, if you combine Mac up, uh, which Jason mentioned with homebrew cask, it can make installing and doing a clean install on either your existing Mac or on a new Mac. Very, very simple. And yet you get to keep your settings, but not all the cruft. There's some, there's some magic here 
So, uh, so thank you for this, Jason. Very, very interesting stuff. Uh, and we'll, we'll put links to all of that out there. Of course. Anything to uh, add? There's one last uh, cool stuff found. I'm going to, I'm going to throw in from, from uh, listener Mike, but Pete, you, you said you, because the one from Mike is actually going to lead to a, a different topic. So do, you said you um, brought some cool stuff. I, out. I do. And um, since you haven't been here, you count. There you go. Today. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> actually one of my favorite, uh, sometime back, I told you about a couple different um, speed reading ones, but uh, I found another one that has all the features that I want and it's called outread. Okay. Excuse me. Outread is an iOS uh, version, but um, here's the one big thing that the other ones never had that this one has. You can get a clip clipboard text into Outread and uh, and speed read off the clipboard. So that's nice. But a little import EPUBs. You can get uh, you can get it from a URL. Uh, plain text. Uh, it has an ability to browse classic books. But the nice thing about uh, the URL is you can throw if you especially if you have your own domain, but. It, there's other ways to do it. So sure. Don't read any EPUB. So you can get a novel or any you know, any open source book that you can get. You can get it on to, into uh, uh, Outread, and uh, you can go anywhere from fifty to a thousand words per minute. Wow! Uh, and it has a Safari plugin on iOS, so you can take an article that you're reading uh, in iOS and say, oh, "This is too hard to read this way." Put it into Out Outread uh, out for me. And read it that way. So it's really cool. And my nine-year-old loves it. He's read two novels now in less than a month with uh, without read. He loves it on his iPad. Um, and I love it because it gets me through uh, the excessive reading that I'm having to do uh, extra at work these days. Ah. And, yeah. So, so uh, it'll read EPUB or PDF as well? Um, or just well, EPUB? Well, I think, I think it'll probably it'll do EPUB. I, you know, I haven't tried PDF. So the PDF, stuff you get from work be, is actually EPUB? Uh, usually, and then oh, I just cool. then I do a cut and paste. No, no, I'm sorry, PDF. But then I do a cut uh, a cut and paste or a clipboard Got as it. needed. You know, I'll just convert it to what I need. Um, but the, but the big thing is the clipboard. I've I've been wanting that clipboard functionality for a long time to be able to highlight, select, copy, and then throw it into uh, into Outread, and it is slick and it has day and night function. It's a, it's a slick slick program. It's well put together. The user experience is nice. You can go day mode, night mode, yeah. and speed it up, slow it down. Oh, and the other, the other thing that some of the other ones didn't have that this one has is really nice is when you stop reading, it brings you up to where you were in the paragraph and you can scroll back up a little bit and go, okay, that's what I missed and, and get the larger context and go on. So, cause sometimes, uh, you know, URLs will get wonky or other technical reading, things will get wonky in there and you can stop it and it goes into the paragraph mode and you can read it. Cool. And then put it back down. So yeah, it's it's got a lot of features that help you read. Um, it'll either flash the words in front of your eyes, or it can leave it in that paragraph mode and, and track the highlight down so you can read it as you would normally read it, left to right, and yeah. working down the page. But cool, man, man it's slick. I I really love that. I if you tell. have a lot of reading to get through, yeah, th- this helps a lot. Cool. So yeah, cool. All uh, right. And I'll get a price for you here in a second. Okay. I forgot whether it was money on that or not. I sure. I think it was a buck 99. But it happens. Check. Yeah. Money. Yeah. Money happens. That's right. Uh, all right. Well, moving on to our last cool stuff found. John, do you have anything to uh, add or say about these cool stuff, cool stuffs found that we've uh, talked about so far? Uh, not yet. Not yet. Okay. Uh, so moving on to Mike, Mike writes, he says, look, I know most people know. I know most people know about it, but the genius store is pretty cool or the genius bar. I call it. Uh, he, I, 
I called it the genius store. He didn't. He called it the genius bar. He says, I live in northern New Hampshire, uh, a good two hours from the nearest store. After weeks of troubleshooting my 2011 MacBook Pro, I decided to try to give the Apple store a a shot when I was on a business trip down near Manchester. Uh, I arrived there and was told to come back tomorrow because of all the slots for the day were full. I explained my travel time and the problems with the computer. And when I was about halfway through the steps I had taken, the appointment master just asked me, it sounds like you're pretty sure it's a hardware problem. Let me see what we can do. They let me cut in line. I showed the genius what was going on, and he told me it was my lucky day. There was a recall on the graphics card in that machine. I left him the computer, and within five days, they shipped me back my computer, having replaced not only the logic board, but also the optical drive, the keyboard, the lowercase, and the RAM, all at no charge. I am still amazed. And it's true. You know, the Apple Store doesn't always have the answer or the solution for everything, but they... uh, they will do diagnostics for free and they really do go out of their way to take care of you. I, I don't know. Uh, the, I don't know this facet of the genius bar, but it certainly doesn't seem to me that the genius bar at Apple stores is uh, held to a profit motive uh, in, you know, individually as part of the store. I don't think that section of the store is it, it certainly, they certainly don't act like they are held to a profit motive they may very well be but they really take care of you as the customer they go out of their way uh and my experiences there have been uh have been fantastic in fact i promised you all that i would finish uh and tell you the story of my son's broken iphone screen it was ironic that his screen broke during uh right around the time where we were talking about whether or not to get Apple care for these devices. And I told you, and I still hold to this, that uh, that for us here, based on our frequency of issues, uh, it's not worth it to us to buy, you know, Apple care for four phones at a time. But I knew that at some point I was going to have to replace a phone. Um, and then sure enough, my son comes home with a, with a shattered screen. It's like, Oh, well I get to put my money where my mouth is. Thanks kiddo. Uh, so, Hey, and I, I mentioned this to, to all of you, but we went to the store and, uh, and you know, this, the, the, so the thing is the phone functioned, it just had a broken screen, but everything about it worked. No problem. This was an iPhone six. So we took it into the store. They evaluated it and, uh, and said, Hey, yep. Okay. Uh, seems like. Uh, you know, we need to swap out the screen. It'll be 109 bucks. And I'm like, great. Now, you know, Apple care on that phone would have cost me, I believe 99. And then there would have been an incident fee of 79 bucks. So we're at 178 at that point. So I'm way ahead of the game, right? I'm, I'm 69 bucks ahead of the game at 109. Uh, awesome. So we leave it. They say it's going to take about an hour. So we go and get some wings and we enjoyed a, a nice father son moment um, at, uh, at whatever the wing place was. And then, uh, and then we went back to the Apple store about an hour later and we get there and the genius comes out and says, so here's the thing. We tried two different screens and neither of them would work. And then we tried your original screen and that wouldn't work. And they had warned us ahead of time that, you know, there was no guarantee that replacing the screen was the issue was going to solve it, that, you know, the damage could have gone deeper. All the guy was looking at was, you know, the, the, the assembled phone that we had brought in and couldn't promise anything. I'm like, yeah, OK, fine. And so uh, it, evidently and I, I you know, the, the nice part about uh, having friends in good places 
is I was immediately able to text Shannon Jean, who is one of the co-founders of Mac Rescue, and he now runs Tech Restore. So he sees this stuff all the time, or you know, his business does. And uh, and he confirmed for me that yeah, sometimes when the screen is shattered, the uh, if if the impact is strong enough, the connector on the logic board of the phone can also get damaged to the point where you can't get anything to connect to it. He said, sometimes you try a few different screens and, and you'll find one that'll work. But uh, those connectors are very, very sensitive and very fragile on the logic board. And they had tried two and then of course tried the original one and, and that didn't work. And, uh, and so the, the, the proposal from the Apple store was, look, you can, Take your chances. If you want to go to a third party shop, they might be able to fix it. You know, we have our policies here. We tried two new ones and, and, and then that's that. Um, but the guy seemed pretty sincere about it, you know, and he said, or, uh, you know, we can do flat rate repair, which replaces the phone. Now, I had totally forgotten that flat rate repair existed on iPhones. I assumed we'd have to just buy a new phone at, at uh, you know, market rates, which for that phone, I think is, I don't know, 600 bucks or 700 bucks, whatever. And, uh, and they're like, so it's, it's two ninety nine for the flat rate repair. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm all over that. Yeah. You know, it didn't. I'll I, take I looked, two. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm like, you know, I looked at Lucas. I'm like, so that's more than we expected to spend, but then nowhere else on the planet can we get a brand new iPhone six 128 gigs for 290 for 299. That's it. Now, the important thing to remember is it's 299 no matter what size device you have. Uh-huh. So if if it was a 16 gig phone, it's still 299. So this is again where, you know, you, you start to uh, make some money back buying larger uh, capacity devices. But yeah, so we did it, and, you know, and then they were like, great. And the guy even had the phone right there. I mean, he had the box out. He knew we were going to, we were going to take, I'm like, oh, so you have to go get one. He's like, no, it's right here. That's what's in this box. I'm like, oh, sweet. Perfect. And so, you know, we did the thing and we restored from iCloud and all was well. So uh, that's the end of my story. That's it. That's all I got to say. But it was, it was a good experience at the Apple store. Any thoughts on no, that? Add, yeah, go. <clears throat> yes. Well, I'll add a little bit to that. So one, you may recall, Dave, when I did have, when I had my, um, as it turns out, defective, success that was actually the classification that they put on the work order i was surprised to see that and i think i forwarded that to you yeah you, you, you no, took a I, peek at it but yeah. they said the uh you know the uh item number for this repair is iphone 6 flat r- flat rate repair 299 and of course they waived it they waived it warranty. No, y- yep you're totally right yeah i just forgotten that that was even an option yeah but the other thing that I saw to uh, back up your story, so I actually met someone that I used to work with in another life at the Apple store. He was like, hey, are you John Braun with Mac Geek Gab? And I'm like, who wants to know? Uh. <laughs> no, it was a guy I used to work with, but he brought in his, you know, way out of warranty, but he had a uh, similar to my machine, but but older. So he had a 2009 15-inch MacBook Pro, and he had a problem with the trackpad not working and you may be able to guess but let me uh, and and he had a problem with the trackpad uh not quite working so he brought it to the bar there and i actually saw the genius come out and show him the reason that it wasn't working and and to back up your thing about the profit motive the guy was like okay um yeah here's your computer and here's your battery and here's the bulge in your battery (laughs) yeah um, and that actually takes, as far as I know, the same battery that, that this machine takes, you know, it's a, it's user serviceable or replaceable, but he was like, you know, we don't have any, um, it would take us a while to get it, but there's a authorized service provider near you and 
you're probably better off going to them and, and getting a new battery put in the machine. Yep. So yeah, he, he, the, the guy was, his goal was to help my friend, um, uh, you know, get his machine working again. But yeah, because the battery was bulging, uh, and a tip to people here is if your uh, trackpad or button is not working on your MacBook, it could be because the battery is, is, uh, in trouble and it's pushing against it and causing it not to work. So, uh, yeah, it was nice to see. I saw it happen right in front of me. It was, yeah. uh, it was great. No, it's true. And, and, and the thing to always remember is the Apple store, the genius bar or the genius stores, I evidently like to call it, uh, is does free diagnosis up until you have to replace hardware to, to continue diagnosing something, but, but they will do that. And then as you just pointed out, John are happy to send you on your way. Right. So your buddy didn't pay them to sort out what the problem was. Uh, they told him what the problem was and they told him where to go to get it with no cash exchanged. It's great. Yeah, it's it, beautiful. Well, yeah, it's, it's customer service. Product. Yeah. Customer service. You know, I think you're, you're on to something, Dave. Maybe they should have a genius store where you could, you know, pick up a genius or two. Yeah. Well, thankfully they don't. <laughs> uh, and that's why people still come and listen to our show. So it's a good thing. That's good. Hey, you know, there, there is one thing though. And, and I know we have some folks that might be able to share this information with us. It, what are the, I'm curious what the limits are for a flat rate repair. I mean, at, at what point when I walk in with a broken phone, at what point do they say you're okay, whatever you did to this thing is outside of flat rate repair. I would love to know that because I'd love to share it with all of you. You know, if I, if I flush it in the toilet, does that disqualify it for flat rate repair? If I grind it in the blender and bring in a baggie of nothing but dust, you know, wait, I'm sure the latter, right? That that is, listen, dude, no, you know, but it's, you know, there's, there's some, there's some line between there and I would love to know. So I got to say though, years ago, this is going back many years though. And I think it may be on that white machine I brought in over that old MacBook Mm -hmm. um, and I had it repaired and I got it home and the repairers had cracked the screen. And I took it to the uh, Apple store and they're like, yeah, not so much. And then I called the, the the number and did flat rate repair. And they're like, oh, yeah, and by the way, the, you know, the screen will be, you know, another 400 bucks on top of that. I'm like, well, you just send it in and do that. And they came back and they did it for, at that time, like the flat rate repair was 199 Yeah. And, well, it's different for each machine. Yeah. yeah. That's right. And, and then yeah. they, but they did it anyway. And they didn't charge me the 400 extra. So yeah. that yeah. was a long time ago. So I'm really reaching back. Yeah. And, and things change. I mean, but yeah, I just be curious to know where with, with the phone, where that line gets drawn. Uh, I mean, obviously if you show up without the phone, they're not going to do a flat rate repair. Sure. (laughs) You you know, you have to, (laughs) it has to be recognizable. It's at the bottom of the river, but I need it. I swear to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's not working. There's no question. You know, one thing that hasn't changed though, over the years and surprisingly, I've, I've, frankly, I expected it to go away at some point and it still may, but the customer service experience at the Apple stores and over the telephone is, uh, is excellent. That's the one thing I think that they are shooting for more than anything else. Cause a happy customer spends yep. more money. So yeah, well, true. Awesome, totally. You know, and I do want to give a shout out to Joe uh, at the Apple store, who is a listener to the show and, uh, and came over and said hello to, uh, to Lucas and I, while we were waiting for our assigned genius to come and, and help troubleshoot the plot problem. Thank you, Joe. It was a pleasure speaking with you, man. Uh, all right, let's move on to a few questions. I, I said we would talk a little bit about the Apple TV. We have some questions about that. I'm, I'm, my goal is to move through these quickly. Um, you know, I'm not sure what my goal actually, if my goal is, is realistic, but we'll get started with it. So Mike 
writes. He says, I've been listening uh, to your shows. My question is, I have a third generation Apple TV with a digital audio out. I run that to the sound bar on my TV setup. Is there a digital audio out on the new Apple TVs, the fourth gen? So the answer is no. The new Apple TV does not have a discrete digital audio out. It only supports HDMI output. Now, here's the good news, but there's a caveat. HDMI contains all of your audio out, of course. Uh, and many TVs will process HDMI to a digital output. The toss link, the, the optical output is what used to be on the uh, or is on the third gen Apple TVs. Um, a lot of TVs will take whatever's coming in with HDMI. And of course, many TVs now, most TVs now, in fact, have multiple HDMI inputs and will whichever one you have chosen for your video, they will then send to this optical output. And that's that's not universal, but it's fairly common. So uh, that's doable. One important thing to note, though, is that while HDMI audio can and and almost always does pass along full, you know, 5.1, 6.1, or even I think 7.1 sound. Uh, many TVs, when they process it to the optical output, only pass through two-channel stereo. They mix it down to two-channel stereo, sometimes 2.1 channel with a, with a low-frequency, you know, subwoofer output. output. Uh, some TVs will pass it through unadulterated, but most mix it down. I think I always assumed that the reason for the mix down was a copy protection thing so that you weren't just spitting out raw audio because HDMI has all this copy protection on it. Toss link, the, the optical output does not. Uh, that was always my assumption. That may be true, it, 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 but it may in fact not. Um, CNET has a list of TV TVs that will output all of these. And so we'll put that in the show notes. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll, you know, uh, and we'll leave it there. Uh, however, if you need to do this, and especially with the new Apple TV, especially if your TV doesn't have an optical output, there is a little box you can get from one of my favorite companies, Monoprice. And, uh, and this little box has, it's a four-way HDMI selector. I originally got it because our, our first plasma TV only had one HDMI input and I needed to choose, uh, you know, multiple devices. Eventually this one has four HDMI inputs, one HDMI output, and then it has three audio outputs, one stereo, which is, you know, just left, right stereo, typical, uh, it's a mini eighth jack. It's actually a headphone jack kind of thing, which of course you could split out to do whatever you want with. It's got coax, which is digital and toss link, the optical, which is di digital and the coax and the toss link both put unadulterated signals out. So, and this box is 43 bucks. It's fantastic. It works extremely well, super reliable. It's remote controllable. The only complaint with, about it, and I've mentioned this years ago when we first talked about it, and it still holds true with the, the current ones that Monoprice sells today, is the light on the front of this thing will sear your retinas from 30 feet away. You definitely need to take some black electrical tape and put it over the front of this thing so that the lights do not kill you. I mean, it's, it's insane that they would build a box that's supposed to sit underneath your TV, a direction into which you're supposed to look for hours on end. 
and uh, and have these things that are totally distracting. So just get some black electrical tape and uh, and it solves that problem. Don't worry. You can still see the lights through the tape. <laughs> Four layers. Four, yeah. Yeah. We wound up putting several layers of tape on ours, but I'll put a link to this thing in the uh, in the show notes because it's it's a handy little box and it is the way to get around this um, this thing. And especially, of course, with with the Apple TV. So that's uh, that's question number one about the apple tv anything uh, on that john before i i move on I'm, like i said i'm trying to get through these quick i'm, I'm mm. not succeeding i wonder so. if you'd maybe want to do a little surgery on that unit there like, like clip that led <laughs> well it's nice to know i mean there are for troubleshooting it's nice to have the lights on and the black tape or maybe replace perfectly. it with a less intense led <laughs> that would be the trick yes yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, well, break out the soldering iron. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I had one. I had one device. Yeah, I think it was an old uh, iOmega external drive that had yeah, like a blinding white LED, and yeah, I had to turn it away. It was yeah. it was it was too much. It was like you, you got to figure sometimes. Like you know, did anyone actually use this? Uh, you know, before they released the product. I mean, dude, that's bright. Every single review that I'm looking at on Monoprice right now talks about the. Uh, the bulbs in fact the the second one the first one the second one says uh pros great way to update an older amp with only one optical input works great the cons leds are too bright electrical tape took care of that it's not me i swear <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah good stuff all right moving on to uh from mike to michael we talk about plex john uh michael says uh, I've been a satisfied user of Synology's DS video and video station for watching all my video content via their Roku app and iOS app. There is not an Apple TV app yet. And while they haven't promised me that one is in development, I will uh, point out that they have an iOS and Roku apps. So, and an Apple watch app. So I can only assume that Apple TV app is coming for Synology's video station, but it doesn't exist right now. Uh, Moving on, moving back to Michael. However, with Plex now available on the new Apple TV, as well as because Plex has an even better interface, I've started switching my content over to the Plex media server on my Synology. Uh, He's got a DS1513+. I've never had any buffering problems with DS video, but with Plex, I'm having some substantial buffering issue with some of the content. Not all, and I can't figure out why. It happens whether I'm on Apple TV or Roku, which points to it being the server. Lowering the quality of the stream of both apps makes no difference. The quality stuttered, but buffering was just as bad. I saw mentioned on the Plex support site that if you are streaming on a local network as I am, then actually increasing the the stream quality on each app may help, as this has the potential to allow the server to skip transcoding or only remux content if it's otherwise compatible. So I maximized the stream quality setting on both the Apple TV and the Roku Plex apps. And sure enough, the buffering problems disappeared. At the very least, I thought this would make a good tip for anyone who has the same problem. But I'm also curious if this solution makes sense to you. All of my video files are MPEG-4 and typically good HD quality. I'm assuming that no transcoding is necessary with MPEG-4. So was Plex trying to transcode it down to a lower quality resulting in the buffering? And by raising the stream quality, it therefore allowed Plex to skip the transcoding. If that's the case, I'm surprised that Plex doesn't make this more automatic or at least easier to take care of uh, if you are on a fast local network. You're totally right. Um, There's really no answer to this question other than to say, yes, uh, Plex has the ability to transcode down so that if you're watching, say, over the Internet 
or if you want to sync a copy to your iPhone or iPad and you don't need the full you know 1080p version on those devices you can you can uh, tell it to shrink it down and it will shrink it down but it's got to do it takes cpu power to do that your ds1513 plus has a dual core cpu i know because i had one and it's an intel cpu and it's it's not uh, underpowered by any stretch but you know you're asking it to do a lot and it can only i believe it can only use one of those cores to do that anyway i don't think plex has the ability to use multi-core but i might be wrong on that so yeah you, you just want to let it run full bore ds video will run full bore automatically uh, so that's why you weren't having any problems with that. So, yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, set your Plex thing to unlimited on. And, and I don't have I'm not sitting in front of my TV because I'm doing a podcast. But uh, if you launch the Plex app on your Apple TV and go into settings, you can set it. And there is an unlimited setting. And that's actually the one you want to choose unless you have some bandwidth issues between whatever your Plex server is. And it could be a Synology. It could be your Mac. Uh, if there's bandwidth issues, then you got to set it. But what's cool about Plex is they let you set two bandwidth settings, one for local servers and one for servers over the Internet. So you can tell it, yeah, if it's coming over the Internet, max out it, you know, whatever, three megabits per second or what, you know, whatever you want. Local, let it go unlimited and you'll be in good shape. So great question, Michael. Thank you for uh, thank you for asking. Moving Am I okay to move to uh, to Dan here, John? I'm just what exactly what sort of transcoding is occurring? Well, if you've got, let's say, yeah, good question. Is it because the format of the, uh, what I'm gathering is that if the format of the video is not an MP4, then then some horsepower is required to convert it to that, so you can stream it. That's one case. Yeah. So, right. So this is a great question, right? Because it could be that if you've got the video in say AVI format or Matroska, which is MKV format, and it's not containing an MP4, then yes, it's got to transcode it to something that the Apple TV has the capability to play natively. And that's going to be true until VLC comes out for the Apple TV, in which case it might be doing some transcoding on the Apple TV itself, but uh, yeah, yeah. I got on the beta list for that. So I'm, I've been playing with it, but yeah, but for Plex and for most things there, there's this, you know, Plex takes a video and I think uh, just tells the Apple TV to display it using its normal, uh, you know, frameworks. They're not doing, I don't think they're doing anything custom there. They're just saying, Hey, here's a video and display it. So you're right, John, if the, video is coming or is exists in a format that the Apple TV cannot play natively, then it needs to be transcoded. Or if you tell it, I only want, you know, the, the max I want on my TV is 720p video. And that video happens to exist in 1080p format. Well, now it needs to trans, even if it's in an Apple TV compatible format, you've told it, to transcode down to 720p or to max out at 720p. So it has to transcode and it will attempt to do that on the fly. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I guess the whole thing is to understand. So, so one is you got to understand the, the native capabilities of whatever device you're targeting. So the Apple TV can play certain videos without having to do any, any work. That's right. Or the media server will, will decide. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've never had this issue, I guess, because I handbrake my stuff and they come out as a uh, M4Vs. 
Okay. And then I use video stations, so I'm gathering that there's yeah, you're not fine. any transcoding occurring. That's correct. That, well, that there is. Or, or Handbrake has done it already. You got it. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's, it's worth using a Handbrake preset that is, you know, for an Apple device. And in fact, they even have one for the Apple TV so that you're sure to be creating files that will play natively without, you know, any, any fuss. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Depends cool. how much of a hurry you're in before you leave, whether you convert it with Handbrake or just let the server do it. Yeah, it, it, well, and it depends on how much power you have in your server, yeah. right? We're yeah. talking about issues on a Synology, which, you know, this for a Synology and for a, a, a NAS unit is relatively fast. Sure. But compared to your Mac, it's a total dog. Yeah, so, so you've got that Mac Mini totally dedicated to that, and I love it. Yeah, you won't yeah. even notice wow. when it's doing transcoding. Wow. You could care less. It's beautiful. <laughs> right, right. And that, yeah. And, you know, I've got a, I, the, the Synology I run now is an 1815 plus, And so it's got a little more horsepower and I, I've got mine set to run full bore. But, you know, I'm a geek. When I launch an app, the first thing I do is not play a video. I go into the settings and I, you know, but, but that's, that's why we do this show. So now, you know, and you do have to go into the settings and make sure it's, it's set the right way. Fun stuff. All right, uh, moving to Dan. See how quickly I can do this here. Dan writes, uh, he says, uh, okay, uh, my wife, he says, I bought my wife a bunch of TV series. And he says, I can buy, I bought them on DVDs, but I want to put them on the Apple TV. And so I'll use Handbrake to rip them, which is just what you were talking about, John. Okay. He says, now for the tough part. She wants to be able to play them on the Apple TV while at home and sync to her with iTunes to her iPad and iPhone for playing on the airplane. My ideal solution would be something like a Drobo or a Synology, uh, a lower end model. So let's take transcoding off the list and that's fine uh, with something like, you know, a couple of three terabyte drives and some sort of redundancy. Uh, I'd like to load up the solution and just set it up and we're good to go. So what do I do? And I think uh, in this scenario, the easiest thing would be to use uh, Synology Video Station. And the reason I'm choosing Synology's Video Station is because it works on their low-end devices. Plex does not always work on the low-end devices. You've got to go and, and check and make sure that there's Plex support for each of these devices. It, you know, they, they all run different CPUs. And the Plex, it's up to the Plex folks because they are the app developer to compile a version of their app, uh, the media server app for these devices. And some of them do it and some of them don't. So, you, you know, you might be able to, if you find one that it works on, great. Uh, we might talk about that shortly here. But that using Synology's video station lets you sync offline. It lets you stream to the Apple TV. It does not have an app for the Apple TV yet, but that's good news and bad news for Apple TV for owners. It means you can't navigate directly on the TV to pick your videos, but it works with the Apple TV third gen and fourth gen because you just navigate on your iPhone and then you tell the Synology to stream directly to the Apple TV. You don't airplay from your phone. It actually airplays directly from the NAS unit, which is it's magic. I don't know how they do it. I think they've actually broken some rules to do it, but they don't care uh, because they serve their customers and I like it. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's, that's the answer on that one. And uh, I think the one thing I skipped was which NAS to use because Doug asks that question and we will 
we will go there. So uh, looking at low end Synologies, um, Synology has a page and they uh, that we will put in the show notes. It's actually a Google spreadsheet, Google Doc spreadsheet. I don't know, whatever you call it, uh, that lists whether these things can do video transcoding and whether Plex, sorry, Plex puts this spreadsheet out, not Synology. And all these NASs, and it's not just Synology. It's, it's you know, they've got Netgear and, and everybody else on here too, QNAP. So, uh, and Drobo as well. So you can, you can check all this out there. Uh, if you want a single bay NAS, there are, um, there are two that will work. Um, and, and it's worth checking it out. You know, there's the, um, uh, the one, I think it's the, the one, one twelve. that's it. The DS 112 and the DS 115, uh, should both do this. So we'll put a link to that spreadsheet out there and that way you folks can, Check out exactly what you want to do, and you should be good to go. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I go I go with the DS one fifteen J if you have to pick one. So that that's that's my advice, and and you can get the experience of a NAS. The nice part about the Synology stuff is, if you decide you want more horsepower or more drive bays, you can uh, take the drive or drives out of your old Synology and move it up to the next one. And, uh, and you save all your settings and all your data and everything. As long as the new one has as many or more drive bays, IE it can fit the drives that you have. You're good to go. Go ahead, John. Now, the one thing I want to mention for Dan, as I started thinking about it. So uh, I do have a solution. It will not solve your Apple TV. Um, but if you do want to, um, if you do want to, uh, play movies on iOS and a computer, then something that I've mentioned in the past, maybe something to consider. And that's a, you know, there are several of these devices here. So one is the, you know, SanDisk iExpand flash drive. Um, Another that I've used uh, that will also let you, you know, go between platforms. Uh, Leaf makes a thing called the Leaf iBridge mobile memory. And then the one that I just got here, I think could be another solution would be the uh, SanDisk Connect wireless stick. They all let you, you know, share your uh, various content between iOS and uh, and a computer. So it wouldn't it wouldn't solve the the Apple TV streaming thing, but right. Just thought I'd mention it. No, it's because it, I have used it for 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 movies. Once you transcode them, or once you you rip them, or yeah. put the content there, if you want to go between Mac PC and iOS. Um, those again are something to consider. Yeah, absolutely. And handbrake is the way to rip these movies. We, I, I go crazy. I actually use handbrake. I use Don Melton, uh, former Apple Safari engineer. He wrote a bunch of command line scripts that create handbrake movies for, um, or that tweak handbrake to make movies that are very similar in quality to those that Apple releases on the iTunes store. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. You, you got to be a nut to to want to do this, but it's totally worth being a nut to do this because you can take your fully ripped, you know, Blu-rays that that you rip with it, make MKV into Matroska format, and turn them into much smaller and yet still super high quality videos. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But first, John, I want to talk about our three sponsors. That work for you? Absolutely. All right. The first sponsor I want to tell you about this week is Drobo. Longtime Mac Geek Cab listeners will know that Drobo is one of our 
favorite vendors. And it's because they focus on keeping your digital data safe. This digital data is essential to our lives. We need to store it in reliable places and we need that data to stick around. Hard drive failure is something that takes data with it more frequently than anything else. And Drobo protects against that. They make safe, simple to use arrays that protect against hard drive failure. They also make it really simple to expand those arrays. So Drobo sells you this box and it's actually a really nice looking box and you can put drives in it and then you can add a drive to add more space to it. If a drive dies, you take the drive out that's dead, you replace it with a good one and you still haven't lost any data. In fact, you're still accessing your data when the drive has died. This is what Drobo makes simple. What they also make is an awesome coupon code. The coupon code GEEK100, that's G-E-E-K-1-0-0, will save you a hundred bucks at drobostore.com. Make sure to visit drobostore.com. You can find the four-bay Drobo that connects to your Mac with USB 3, normally $299. Now it's $199 with that coupon. This applies to the Drobo 5D, which direct connects with Thunderbolt and has five bays. Also applies to the Drobo Mini. You got to check it out. Drobostore.com. Coupon code GEEK100. G-E-E-K-1-0-0. Saves you $100 off of these great units from Drobo. Check them out. Our thanks to Drobo for sponsoring this episode. There are many reasons I love our next sponsor, Casper. One of them is that they let me get a good night's sleep. The other is it doesn't break the bank to do it. Casper makes fantastic foam mattresses. These are not just memory foam. They are memory foam at the core. And then they're surrounded by latex foam. And that way, not only do you get the cozy, comfortable, snuggly fit of a foam mattress, the latex foam keeps it from being too warm. So you get this nice, cool, refreshing kind of thing. It's not cold. It's just not hot and sweaty. And that is why Casper mattresses are perfect. You got to check this out. Here's the thing, though. Their prices are awesome. They've cut out the whole concept of going to a store and laying on a bed in your clothes to test out the mattress. They let you test it out where you should test it out at home. They ship you the mattress. You try it out at home. You've got a hundred nights to try this thing out for free. If you decide you don't like it, they take the mattress away. You don't pay shipping or anything and they give you all your money back. But here's the thing. It's not that much money to begin with, right? A twin size mattress is 500 bucks. A king size, the most expensive is 950, but it gets better because with coupon code MGG, you save 50 bucks. So that means a twin size starts at 450. A king is 900. And that's that. There's no shipping. All of that stuff is taken care of. Just remember to use coupon code MGG. You can see all the details at casper.com slash MGG. Start getting a good night's sleep now. You're going to love it. I promise you. Check it out. Casper.com slash MGG. Coupon code MGG saves you 50 bucks. Our thanks to Casper for sponsoring this episode. If you need a website, Squarespace is the place to start. Go to squarespace.com slash MGG and start building your site today. Here's the thing. Your skill level 
is irrelevant. All you got to do is know what you like to see. Sites that are designed with Squarespace all look professionally done, no coding required. You start with a template. Literally, that's what you start with. They don't ask you your name. They don't even ask you what site you're building. Go to squarespace.com slash MGG. You start with a template. Pick your favorite. Then start adding in your own stuff. Maybe you have some text. Obviously, you're going to have a title for the page. Uh, Put all of that in. Pull in your own images. All of this is happening inside your web browser. You're designing the website inside your web browser. The tools are super intuitive, easy to use, and you can build something very, very quickly. I built an entire site in an hour once with Squarespace, and that included adding in the ability to take payments for tickets I was selling on this site. Really simple, really elegant. You've got to check it out. I actually use Squarespace for a couple of sites. Flingrocks.com is the band that I, one of the bands anyway, that I play in. And we host our website there. You can check it out. You can sign up for our mailing list. It makes it really easy. They link with MailChimp and all of that. So it just works. My DaveTheNerd.com blog, that's there. Uh, that's where I post all my stuff. Makes it really easy. They've got these great iOS apps. So I can post a blog post. In fact, I think the two or three most recent posts on my site have all been posted from my iPhone. It seems like I post things on my iPhone when I'm sitting next to my wife while she's driving in the car. So you can check those out there. Uh, Listener Jason Kimes at Jason Kimes, J-A-S-O-N-K-I-M-E-S.com. He's a sculptor. His site's on Squarespace. Really cool stuff. You got to check this out. It's like this big, huge copper man that he's built and everything. It's amazing stuff that this guy's done. And it's amazing what you can do with Squarespace. Check it out. Squarespace.com slash MGG is where you start. You get 14 days for free. And then when it's time to buy, use coupon code MGG to save yourself 10%. You got to check it out. Squarespace.com slash MGG. Our thanks to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode. And now, Dave and Pete, we're going to go to Mark. Mark brought up an interesting question that touches on a lot of things that I think will be useful to our audience here. And it's something I've had to wrestle with also. So Mark writes in and says, over the years, I've accumulated lots of color profiles, uh, .icc and .icm files from installations of different printers, scanners, monitors, and color software like Adobe Photoshop. I know I need some to make color sync work between all my devices, but I am trying to locate them all to delete the ones I will never use. The reason is in Photoshop, when I pick a color pro color paper profile to print with, I get a drop down list that goes on and on and on and on. I figured out that many of these profiles are hidden inside show package contents of certain files, but it's a hit or miss to find those certain files. Does anyone make an app for managing color profiles on the Mac? Not Apple's color sync utility. It only shows some of the profiles on the computer. Certainly does not show the not visible ones. So I took one for the team here, Dave, because this has annoyed me as well. So first you you may be asking yourself, what is color sync? Color sync is Apple's technology that allows you. The thing is the technology used for displaying things and printing things um, without getting a whole color science course here. But the thing is, they use different technologies here. So one way that you can get what you see on your screen to come out on your printer uh, and look the same is you create a profile. Now, you may want to calibrate your device, but uh, sometimes the device will come with a profile. 
And so if you say, okay, I have this display and this color printer, then what you see on your screen in theory should be what you get on the printer or the paper. But uh, as Mark found, sometimes you're going to build up some cruft here. And actually this happened to me recently, Dave, when I got a new screen is that I had the pro at first I got this new LCD and I was like, wow, this looks like this looks terrible. What's wrong with it? And then I found out it was actually using the profile of the old screen that I had. And because they, you know, uh, had, you know, just different characteristics, it looked terrible. Once I picked my current display, then everything was great. But that's because it left that cruft. um, It left it over. Um, Photoshop gets a little different because I've never dealt with paper profiles. So I dove in, Dave, and I actually went and uh, downloaded uh, Photoshop Creative Cloud and installed it to see what was happening here. Because normally, at least on my system, I don't have any paper profiles. And one, oh my gosh, dude. Photoshop and Creative Cloud. I, I couldn't believe how much stuff it just spewed on my system and, and the network connections. I'm, I'm not crazy it. about it. Yeah, yeah. Huh. <clears throat> um, but it also puts thing, you know, per Adobe, it also puts thing, and I think this was the challenge that Mark ran into, it also puts things in somewhat non-standard locations because they're Adobe, right? <laughs> but it's still locations that the OS sees, right? Well, that's the trick here. So I found out how you could find them here. So um, so the one thing I, I want to mention here is that if you want to find display profiles, um, this you can do fairly easily, but it also gave me an opportunity. To, it gave me a hint to see where Adobe was placing some of this stuff here. So the thing is, if you go into system preferences, um, display, and then click on the color tab, what you're going to see is display profile. Now, normally, or at least on El Capitan, it looks like they tighten things up a bit here, is that normally it's just going to show the display that you're connected to. But if you, uh, there's a box, if you uncheck this box uh, called, uh, which is Mark Show Profiles for the display only, you're going to see where, you're going to see a whole bunch of other profiles, which you may or may not want to use. Now, how can you tell where these are, you may ask? And I'm going to tell you, if you hover your cursor over any of these, and you wait a moment, it's going to show you the path that that profile is stored in. There it is. Yeah. <sighs> now, the thing is, a lot of them are in standard locations here. So, or, so one, I offered this advice here is that if you if you look in the in the display profiles, that may give you a hint as to where other profiles are being stored because they all are or should be stored in in the same location. And here's what I found. So most of them, Dave, you will find they're going to be stored in either slash library slash color slink slash displays or slash system slash library slash color slink slash displays. The rule um, I always follow is if it's in slash system, anything. And when we say slash, we just mean new folder. So at the top of it, you know, the first slash means at the top of the drive. So we're not talking about your user library folder. We're talking about the library folder on the top of your hard drive. Um, but my rule is if it's inside system, it came with the system and has not been added after the fact and shouldn't be messed with. That's that's my typical rule. But maybe you found different. Right. Okay. Well, I went a little further here. So what I found is that once I installed Photoshop, I then searched, uh, you know, I was looking for this, you know, the sure. selection here to print on paper and I, I didn't see it initially. So I, you know, did a bit of research, went online, looked at their help. And as it turns out, if you go into in Photoshop, if you say print color management, Photoshop manages color, 
Then when you go to the printer profile pull down, you're going to get a list of all sorts of printers and paper. And, and it, as far as I know, that's what he's talking about. Uh, so then what I did is, um, you know, then I started exploring a bit more here. And as it turns out, um, slash library slash color slink slash profiles now had some aliases pointing elsewhere. So Adobe is kind of doing this in a standard way, but not really. So what I found happened is that when I clicked on the aliases, they brought me to a totally different spot. <laughs> uh, they brought me to slash library slash application support slash Adobe slash color slash profiles. Oh, uh, okay. So they're just side loading them that way or yeah. Got it. Right. And when I looked in, in that, so they, they did put an alias in the, the area that they should be in pointing to application support, which, you know, it's kind of wonky. I mean, at least in my opinion. Um, but then I found if I went to that directory and started whacking some of the entries in, in that directory in the application support slash Adobe area, yeah. then that is where they, it stored those profiles that he did not want to see. Um, the other thing is that actually I found Dave is that so while you know I, we're we're still looking here. So the thing is it doesn't entirely solve the problem of how to manage these because the thing is as he pointed out, Color Sync Utility, um, while Color Sync Utility will show you the paths that the, the and it did show me. So once I ran Photoshop and it added these things, actually Color Sync Utility did show. Um, in an other directory <laughs> um, or that they have an other category. So they'll show you if, if you run color sync utility and then go to profiles, it'll show you system profiles, computer profiles, displays, and then it has this category other. And that's where some people put their stuff here. So one that I see here is HP. They put their, um, okay. You know, they put some of their printer profiles in there, but then also I saw system library core services, this and that, and then Yikes. Uh, and a few others. So uh, ColorSync Utility uh, should be able to show you where some of these wonky profiles are. The yep. thing is, neither ColorSync Utility nor um, the display, you know, system preferences display color, neither of them, as far as I can see. Well, actually, no, I'll, I'll take that back. Um, nope, I'm not going to take that back. The thing is that a lot of them, they'll just show you the profiles, but they won't let you delete them. You actually have to dig in. That's why I, you know, list, uh, name the directories here. Maybe somebody makes a utility, and actually this, this could be like a mini geek challenge. I wasn't able to find anything that lets you manage your uh, color sync utilities or, or these profiles well. Um, oh, that's a, you know, a good uh, challenge. Yeah, because I, mean, I mean, this is handy stuff. It, it's stuff that's in the way. Is it going to, is it going to make your Mac uh, run any slower? No, but it makes managing this stuff, especially if you're someone who's installed software that doesn't, where you don't need these color sync profiles all the time. You know, it would be nice to clean up those listings. And like you said, Apple, and I think it even started before El Capitan that you could, you know, in, in the displays thing, you can check the box that says show only for this display. And, but it's even still like, you know, your print dialogues and everything get, get cluttered up with this stuff. If you're, if you're digging around. So yeah, it would be nice to have a way to manage it. Good. Fine, man. This is, this is awesome. I like it. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm going to, I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to 
run Photoshop. I, I typically don't. I'm, I'm not a Photoshop yeah. type of guy. I use other utilities to do my photo, photo manipulation. I, I'm um, a big fan of both Pixelmator and Acorn. Man, I, I mean, hmm. I, I don't know who needs photo. I know there are people that need Photoshop, but man, Pixelmator is awesome. And, you know, here's the thing. Pixelmator on iOS is super full featured. The other day, you know, I, I've had it for iOS, but, I, but I'll be honest, I haven't really used it much. And the other day I wanted to make a, a, a silly picture. I, I had this idea that I wanted to put a goose egg on the stage of our high school because my daughter said, oh, we should do this, this play. And I thought in my head, wow, that would be terrible. Uh, it would be like laying a big goose egg right there on the stage. Nobody would like that. And so I wanted to just quickly with my iPhone make this image. And I knew that I could, you know, search online and find a picture of a goose egg and I could find a picture of um, of the stage from the high school. And and I thought, oh, I can use Pixelmator because that's what I would use on my Mac to do this. And you can do layers and all of that stuff. But I had no experience with using it on the iPhone. Man, it couldn't have been any easier. I copied pictures from Safari, pasted them into Pixelmator as I pasted each picture into the app. Again, all this is all on my iPhone. Uh, it created a new layer. I could reorganize the layers. The layer organization tool was there when I wanted it. It was gone when I didn't. It was really easy to just click and or tap and hold and move things around. I was able to resize these images. I could do the transparency the way I wanted. And it literally took me longer to talk about this than it did to do it. And I created the, the image and, you know, texted the final product off to my daughter and she laughed, you know, and it was, she's like, wow, you just did that. I'm like, yeah, man. And I'm like, Pixelmator. My son's like, I use that all the time. I'm like, yeah, see family uh, app sharing for the win. So, uh, so yeah. So yes. And, and, and of course on the Mac, you can do all of that and more. And to get back to my point, I'm not sure. I know there are people that need and use Photoshop, but it's not like it used to be for, you know, 50 bucks or less. You can now get a piece of software that'll do what most of us lay people would use Photoshop to do and do it extremely well. Um, and I would even venture to say if you've never used Photoshop and you don't have uh, a need to use it because you're sharing files with other people, you, you could probably get away with, you know, again, Pixelmator or Acorn. I tend to go to Pixelmator first um, just because it's the one I learned first. But uh, but Acorn on the Mac is is the same way. So um, anyway, I throw I throw those out. Speaking there. of speaking of package managers, yeah. so I'll throw out two others. So actually, Are I've been talking using about this package for years, managers. For, Go ahead. Oh, I think you. We were talking earlier. Yeah, or someone was was giving yeah. a tip here. I I, I look. I actually. I I know this frustrates me sometimes. When we actually have offline conversations about it. But I actually love this about you that that you'll that you'll just pull things that that totally makes sense and are relevant in your head and, but might not be exactly in sync with where we are in the show, but I love it. And I know our listeners love it. So please go. Well, some do, whereas uh, I've seen at least one iTunes comment where somebody said, you know, I just want to slap the ADD out of John sometimes. That's right. That's fine. It's part of the charm, my friend. But but this, this applies. So another tool that I like using, so, so I found graphic converter. I still use that. And for basic editing graphic converter, I mean, yeah. graphic converter I've been using for probably almost a decade. I mean, the one thing it does, as the name implies is that it, it converts between nearly any format to any other format. Uh, I think it's, it's the king of doing that. 
But I, I want to mention package managers because another good program for uh, it's probably not quite as full featured as Photoshop here. But if you have a package manager, you can install something called GIMP, which I believe stands for GNU Image Manipulation Program. Uh, and any major package manager, and, and I'm sure Homebrew, I, I know Fink does, um, will let you download and compile that. And I, I think you need X11 installed in order to uh, in order to use that. But uh, it's a good open source uh, thing for editing your images. So cool. I'm going to toss that out there. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, 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 I'm sure you're right that, that Brew has it. It might be. It might actually be one of those cask things that we were talking about earlier in the show. Um, but yes, either way, it. I'm sure it does. But I'll put, I'll put a link to the GIMP.org page in the show notes just so anybody can check it out. Good stuff. All right. A couple of tips while we're here. One from Lauren. This was fascinating to me. Uh, Lauren writes, I had uh, the same problem that Bruce described on your latest show, which is where Time Machine was dreadfully, dreadfully slow. I assume my problem was related to an El Capitan update. I'm still on the public beta program, so I get a new update every few weeks or so. The time machine backup to my uh, WD MyCloud was suddenly running for almost a week without ever completing and the file count progressing dreadfully slow. What seems to have solved my problem was a safe boot to clear out caches. I was hoping the safe mode boot also seemed to be taking an unusually long time. But after that time machine began operating normally as expected. Again, I'm on a uh, mid 2012, 13 inch MacBook pro. I'm seriously considering a full Ram upgrade and maybe even move to an SSD, but this did the trick for me for now. Great tip, Lauren. I never, I guess it makes sense. Time Machine's going to use caches like anything else. Uh, I never would have thought of that to speed up Time Machine in this case, but I'm, I'm not going to argue with results. So thanks for sharing that. Good, good stuff. And then, uh, and then moving on, Greg actually has a, a similar uh, issue. And Greg, so... I'm just going to describe it because the email trail got very, very convoluted, but Greg was having this issue. We're downloading from the app store. The iOS app store was extremely slow, but speed tests would work. No problem. Everything else was fine. And he said, here's the thing. I'm having this same problem at my friend's house. I thought, Oh, well, okay. You know? And so we went round and round and finally Greg realized that they're both on time Warner for their cable connection. He changed his DNS from the default time Warner DNS that gets assigned by the cable modem to open DNS. And suddenly everything was faster everywhere, including at his friend's house. So I don't know that I, I, you know, I, here's the thing. I emotionally support all conspiracy theories. So therefore I love the idea of saying that time Warner is somehow, uh, redirecting you to the wrong thing, uh, you know, iOS <laughs> app store intentionally, but I, I really can't come up with, I can't intellectually support this particular conspiracy theory because I, it doesn't, it doesn't actually make any sense. You know, why would they do this? Um, there are, you know, Netflix, there are far bigger fish to fry when it comes to, to download. So I think I'm going to have to guess that this was an unintentional, uh, caching issue with their domain name servers at time Warner that was pointing you perhaps to, you know, the Hong Kong uh, mirror of iTunes store. And it was just coming in really slowly or wherever it was, you know, it, it's hard to say, uh, but 
that would that would be my my guess is they were just pointing to the wrong one or to a bad one, not necessarily the wrong one. Uh, but yes, using Open DNS, uh, it, it, in theory, using Open Open DNS could cause the exact same problem, but using a different DNS uh, would uh, w- is a great solution. So nice job, Greg. Excellent, uh, excellent, excellent troubleshooting. It happens. It's better to be lucky than good. <laughs> it is. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, or in Greg's case, unlucky and then lucky. So yeah, go. there you go. So yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. And one last tip uh, from show 579. Uh, Bruce says, uh, I have a quick thought on the listener who lost his volume controls that was mentioned in 579. I have a bit of a problem where my volume control was grayed out in the menu bar and the keyboard volume controls didn't work. The troubleshooting step you mentioned looking in the system preferences for volume output device did solve the issue. For me, this is for Bruce, the underlying problem was that I was using a monitor via the HDMI port and the monitor itself just had no sound output. OS 10 assumed that I'd want to send sound via HDMI because, of course, it supports it, as we discussed earlier. Uh, even though the HDMI device said I can't do audio and it was annoying. So it switched automatically there. And then uh, and he just had to switch it back to his internal speakers or whatever other speakers he wanted to use. And everything was was fine. So did you have something to add? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, you were putting your hand in the air. So I, oh, I, I was scratching my head. Sorry. Oh, that's all right. I, you <laughs> well, know, somebody I, has got something. Per- yeah, he's got perfect. I bet John has something to say. John, is your hand up? <laughs> it sounds like it. Go ahead, John. Well, my hand isn't up, but I'm going to put up a hand on behalf of the people in our chat room here. MacGeekGab.com slash stream. That's right. Yeah, last I heard. Uh, and what they're suggesting, Dave, and this is a good tool, and actually I, I just ran it the other day. Um, it's called DNS Bench. And it will identify uh, your, your uh, it, it'll tell you the speediest DNS that's near you, but I found what it also does, Dave, it, it will alert you uh, to shenanigans that your ISP or others may be pulling as far as DNS lookups. Uh, to your conspiracy theory, uh, some, I, actually, I think almost every ISP, um, if a DNS lookup fails or, or under certain conditions, they may do something not quite standard, like redirect you to a search page of their own making <laughs> rather than saying something didn't work. Okay, so this is not called DNS bench. It's called name bench, but it does exactly what, bench, you, what you just described. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's, um, I think it's, uh, we've got a link that we'll put in the show notes. So thanks. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, it is. You know, I mean, it, th- these are the kinds of things where when you know the answer, it's simple. But in the thick of it, you know, I'm not sure. I, well, I, I didn't initially when I was reading Greg's question. I didn't think of DNS being the issue. It's obvious now. Um, but uh, but yeah, man, you know, there's just so much to think about. That's that's why we get together every week here, John, is because uh, we can share the brain, well, uh, the brain trust. So, well, you know, I'm looking here. There actually seems to be a tool called DNS Bench. Yeah, that's the Gibson Research uh, one that Steve Gibson does. Ah, so, okay. Uh, I think that, uh, okay. That was the first oh, Google yeah, one. Oh, yeah, GRC, DNA. So there's a, there's a couple. All right, so it looks like there's a couple of tools. Yeah. yeah. I'll get the other link, too. Whoops. Cool. I just stuck something in the middle of the show notes. I see that, Pete. Thanks for that. that. Yeah, Glad no, that's good. <laughs> I'll clean it up. I'll clean it up. Um, 
Yeah, very good. Very good. No, but that is why we get together. And 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 I'll I'll use that as an opportunity to say thank you. Uh it, we do have Thanksgiving coming up here in the US uh on Thursday. So, uh thank you to all of you who make it possible for us to do what we do here. John, thank you for uh for continuing to do this uh with me for the last, you know, 10 years. Um it's been a blast. Pete, thanks cool. for coming today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Nice being head. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. <laughs> I feel like we've got room for one or two more, John. Uh, let's see. Let's go. You know, let's go to uh, let's go to David. Actually, I, I before I forget, I want to throw in my own cool stuff found um, because it's relevant. We're all going to be doing our, our holiday shopping this week and there's Black Friday sales and it's worth paying attention. And Mac Observer will be posting some, you know, topically relevant stuff and deals that we find and all that. But um, but I have found a website and my family thinks I'm nuts. Um, for using it, but a website called AliExpress. Have you used this, John? Have you used this, Pete? I haven't. No. A L I Express. So there's all in, you could previously you could, or I guess still you can still find a lot of this stuff on Amazon, but you get it cheaper from AliExpress. So there's all these Chinese uh, companies that make all the things that we buy from, uh, y- you know, from our stores and 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 our name brand vendors. But as I as has been explained to me, a lot of these. Chinese quote unquote factories are just converted garages, um, you know, for smaller stuff. Obviously, Foxconn is not someone's converted garage. Right. You know, but but for a lot of these things that we get, like our iPhone cases and Apple watch bands and, you know, especially the third party stuff, it's all just made in somebody's garage. And yes, they have a deal that they will only sell exclusively to the vendor that you know, uh, pays them. And so, you know, they might run the factory eight hours a day for the vendor uh, that pays them. And then they run it the remaining hours of the day and sell the stuff right out the back door in China. And that's just how it works. And it's sort of an accepted thing for, at least from the friends that I have that, that, you know, make products and, and, and use these factories. Well, AliExpress lets all those people just sell direct to you and me. It's free shipping to the U S it's, it's a marketplace. It's not, like it's like Amazon's marketplace, right? So Amazon's or AliExpress isn't shipping this stuff to you. It's just putting you in touch with buyers and they have reviews and they have an escrow thing. So your money is, is held until you receive the fun, you know, until you receive the product and release the money. And it's actually really well done. They've got an awesome iOS app. They always have good deals. And you know, the thing is, I mean, you can get, not everything there is a good deal. For example, you know, I started looking at led lights cause I've been obsessed with replacing all the lights in my house with, with LEDs. And I actually found a better deal at BJ's yesterday. I bought eight 60 watt bulbs for 19 bucks at BJ's, which is a pretty good price. Uh, but you can, you know, you can find that kind of stuff there. You can find like, if you want a third party Apple watch band, yeah, basically anything, it's not just electronics, it's anything. So I'll throw that out there. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's buyer beware, right? You're, you're buying from these people that are, certainly not native English speakers, uh, but I've, I've bought a few things there and it's all really inexpensive and some of it is cheap uh, and worth it. And some of it's um, inexpensive and nice. So I'll throw that out there. Mike, huh. you might find some interesting stocking stuffer type things on AliExpress. I can't believe you just did that because, you know, I just did this days ago, Dave, is I decided to ditch all my CFLs. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I bought a whole bunch and actually uh, my local Home Depot actually just reduced the price. So I bought a whole bunch of 60 watt, um, yeah. like under $4 each. Yeah. Yeah. They, I was getting, they had I mean, some others. I didn't like the style. I, I actually, they had some others uh, that were 
under $2 each, like $1.97, but I didn't like the style. They sure. weren't like, you know, the bulb style. They were, yeah. you know, kind of a weird form of factor. I saw so I those the there. Style. Yeah, I was at Home Depot yesterday too, but like I said, BJ's had the deal for me. Two fifty for for Sylvania's, so it was, that was a good one. But yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Here's, here's an interesting anecdote. I know we've got listeners to this show from all age ranges. So I bought a bunch of these. I bought like, you know, I think I bought two packs of them. So I bought 16 bulbs yesterday and I went around and was changing a bunch of them in the house. And I changed a, a, a bulb from a CFL to an LED in my daughter's room. And there, there, was two, there were two problems with it. She said, well, now my two lamps look different because I only replaced one of them. And I thought, okay, I can deal with that. You know, I'll get you another bulb. That's fine. And she said, here's the other thing. You know, you flip the switch and that lamp just comes on like full brightness right away. And it hit me even at almost 16 years old, her entire life at least the, the parts of it she remembers has never been with incandescent bulbs. Oh yeah. Instant on. It, she doesn't it. understand <laughs> the inst. She, she's like, she's like, this is weird. I flipped the switch and it's just like instantly bright. And it's wow. It's like, it doesn't warm up anymore. She's like, it's like people light should warm up. I thought, wow. What a, I, I mean, because that's the thing I hate about CFLs that's, more than anything. <laughs> I know, but she's never known yeah. anything different. I want and, light now. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it drives me crazy. I walk into a room, I feel like I'm blind for the first five minutes. Yeah. Wow. Funny. I know. Yeah. It's what you're used to. It's what you're used to. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, uh, that's, I share, because these are the things that are interesting to me. Um, all right. So let's now, let's go to David, who asks uh a real question and gets us back on topic. David writes, I just purchased a new uh, 5k 2015, 27 inch iMac with a 512 gig SSD inside it. Very similar to mine. Here's just, just a year newer. Uh, I have a Drobo five N for NAS. Nice. Uh, I'm looking to get an external SSD for faster external direct connect storage for parallels images to work and other files that uh, I work on, but don't put on my local drive. Okay. Yep. So you're asking the right guy uh, or the right group of guys because we've tested all kinds of these things. As far as external SSDs, you're going to pay more for an external drive than you will for an internal. Um, And perhaps John can find better deals on these things than me because you're you're really good at that. Uh, Maybe I should check AliExpress. But my favorites and still the ones that I can find, at least from, um, you know, known name brand uh, vendors at the lowest price is the Lassie rugged drives. Uh, you know, it's 500 bucks for their 500 gig, 300 bucks for their 250 gig. Again, it's not exactly inexpensive, but it's about the lowest price I've found. You can get them uh, from OWC. We'll put, uh, we'll put links into the show notes there. That's, you know, that that's about the, I would guess that that's the, the size you're looking for there. Um, if you need lots more storage than that, um, you can start to approach again in the same, same company and same product category. You can start to approach SSD speeds with Lassie's rugged raid four terabyte drive, which is actually two drives rate two two terabyte drives rated together. These are spindle drives, but because they're rated together, you start getting some serious speeds out of these things. Not quite the, you get like 250, you know, megabytes a second, which is not quite the same as, you know, the 350 or so that you get out of an SSD, but, uh, but good. Now, latency is not like SSDs with these, um, nor would you expect it to be. So, you know, but you get, I mean, you're talking about, you know, monster storage, you can get a four terabyte drive for 400 bucks and it's external and you know, all of that good stuff. So 
those are uh, those are my thoughts on this, John. What do you what do you are you finding anything better than that price wise for uh, external SSDs these days? <sighs> haven't haven't really been looking. Okay, okay, that's fair. Yeah. So yeah, I, I like these these um, the the see rugged drives. They're they're good stuff. I'm I'm looking to see in the uh, in the show notes or sorry in the chat room if anybody has found uh, anything better. Um, I think, you know, I every do, now and I, then, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I did sign up. I mean, every now and then I'm on their list, but they haven't sent me anything for a while, but crucial would have a remanufacture refurbished SSDs for really good prices. I remember one time they were you know really affordable. Of course, you'd have to add your own case. Right, you know? right, right. Well, as you mentioned, OWC is uh, my favorite place to get uh, cases yeah. for all my drives that no longer live inside computers that's true yeah you could you could put one together um yeah that's right that's right yep there's no putting internals in the airs or anything anymore though no no <laughs> that's right that's right no aftermarket for that <laughs> no well um Is there? no i thought yeah, i thought OWC, some of the really the shaped uh yeah they've got know. the 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 pci direct or whatever it is uh, okay. yeah i never even looked so yep. yeah i just assumed that that was something they apple intentionally kind of tried to keep them out of the market for that so no i right. i think apple did that because of size yeah well that's what i yeah that's what i mean yeah, yeah. here's how we do it yeah here's how we solve that problem yeah. that's right yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah i mean it's so, certainly not as nice as you know, that's why I got this class of machine here, the 2012 MacBook Pro, specifically because I screw the bottom off, pull right. out the standard size right. SSD and or sta- old mechanical drive and just popped it in. Right. But yeah, I know that. But there are certainly people that make kits that will let you uh, upgrade or replace your uh, on the later Ma- Apple machines. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. That's right. A bit more that. of a challenge, I would say. Yes. Yeah. It's, it takes a little more work. It's not it's not built to be user serviceable for sure. So, all right, Everett has a question. Hello, John. Hello, Dave. Had a quick question for you. In regards to your premium service, I know this is kind of a funny question. I was wondering how you screen your emails when they're sent to the premium service. How can you tell if a person is a premium subscriber or not? So, do you get an export of your XML? I mean, an export in an XML or a CSV file off of your premium database and then import them as a rule for mail? Or is there another way that you filter your email? Or can you even filter it off? Just a quick question. Thank you, and have a great day. Thanks, Everett. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a very good question, and it's one uh, that we spent a lot of time researching, and we use the honor system, Everett. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the premium offering here is uh, something that is for those of you that want to be able to support us directly, and uh, I know you all use different email addresses at different times of the day. You might have one for work. You might have, you know, your iCloud address and you might have one that all your subscriptions go to, but you never actually email from. And I, and I know that some of you use a custom email address for our subscription, like you would anywhere to make sure that if your address gets harvested by someone, you know where it came from and no, we never sell your addresses off. So that should never happen. 
but I get why you would do that. And I, I, I totally grok it. So we, uh, we did a lot of research on it. There's actually some plugins for mail that we looked at that might've been able to pull some of that stuff in and validated and all of that stuff. But in the end, uh, we decided the honor system was the best way given the, 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 given the point of the premium subscription anyway, there was no reason to put up additional walls there. So uh, yes, it's true. If you are not a premium subscriber and you email us to premium at MacGeekGab.com, uh, we will answer your question ahead of the queue, ahead of the regular queue, like we always do. And, um, you know, it's again, it's the honor system. So we're, we're happy with it. And, uh, hopefully you guys are too. So that's, well, we do have a list, Dave. We do have a list. Well, we have the list for, uh, you know, when you reach a certain threshold, of course. Correct. Uh, you know, you, you get something nice from us. So we do have a list. And um, and all I'm going to say is, yeah, if, 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 if you do send in something on premium and you're not a premium subscriber, you're, you're probably going to get some coal in your uh, stock. Yes. There's the naughty or nice list. That's too. just because that's naughty. That that's definitely naughty. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we we pretty much grok who are premium. I mean, when I see the you know I see I see the names and, yeah. and they usually resonate as oh yeah that's somebody I've seen on the list before. Yeah. So um, but yeah, the, it it it's uh, I think the conclusion is it's not worth the time and effort to have you know rigid. Yeah, and <laughs> it's screening not, like that. it's not the spirit of it either. So yeah, yep, it works. It works. All right, one last question because I just can't help us now you know what we'll save that one for next week because i don't want to rush through it it's going to be it's going to take us a little time to go through that one so we will take this as the opportunity to say thank you again uh again especially for all of you that are uh, premium subscribers it's uh, it's a it's it's a pleasure to have you it's a true yeah. pleasure and especially this time of year dave you want to avoid rushing especially around thanksgiving because it's going to be crazy out there everybody's going to be driving everywhere and yeah, be careful. Yeah. I don't have to drive far, fortunately. You uh, spending time with family for Halloween? For Halloween. For Thanksgiving, John? You dr- dressing up as a turkey? <laughs> don't do it, man. It's dangerous. <laughs> um, my sister uh, is hosting this nice. year. Nice. So, um, yeah, she's close by, like a 30, a 20, 30 minute drive. Nice. Depending on who's in my way. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. See, people keep getting in my way. Otherwise, I could go at warp speeds. <laughs> Do you have your tickets Although for the new Star Wars I'm... movie yet, John? Uh, no. Okay. No. We I'm, do. Uh, I, you know, I'm, maybe I'll go to the theater, but, you know, it's it's not like an obsession for me. I can't remember the last, the last time I went to the theater, Dave, was, where I felt it was worth it, was, um, Avatar. Oh. It was the last time I went to a theater to view a movie. Other than that, I, I got my, you, you've seen, I got a pretty decent yeah, home entertainment setup. I'll, I know. I'll wait for it to come out on Blu-ray. Oh, you'll miss all the surprises, man. You'll hear about them all online. Yeah, there so, you go. We have, we have, not only do we have tickets, we have reserved uh, seats. Friday the 18th. I actually went and saw The Martian this week, which is a good sci-fi, but solid science. Uh, I've, I've heard good things and, about and The Martian. Great. I think I recommend that in the theater if you can see it because of the Martian landscape and, and HD, big screen, beautiful. Really okay. well done. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really? Right. Well, as a uh, aviator, I, w- I would think you'd be looking for that, Pete. Yeah. No, it's good. Kind of like airplane. Book, was, you know, was, uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, right. airplane was an accurate portrayal of flying a plane, right? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I assume. I think I've, I've won- said it before. Nothing funnier than watching a room full of aviators watch that movie on a midnight hub turn. It. Oh, that's got to be you get a blast. 200 pilots watching that movie. It's just great. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. What a great thing. That's great. For those of you that are premium members, premium at MacGeekGab.com, as we mentioned, is the email address that you can use. If you're not a premium member, feedback at MacGeekGab.com is the one for you. Dave, I'm not as sure if I heard you right. I believe that you said feedback at MacGeekGab.com, but I'd like to know what you heard, Pete. I heard feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's right. It's all about the inflection, uh, folks. Right. So it's 206-666-GEEK for anybody who wants to call us. And the number geek trans or the numbers for the letters geek, you know what I'm That's saying. That's easy for you to say. What is it? 4335, I think. Attaboy. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Visit us at Facebook. Uh, MacGeekGab.com slash Facebook is the easiest way to get there. That's the link you can always remember, and we will keep it up to date for you awesome facebook group great group of people out there and i uh, really encourage you to join up and ask questions answer questions contribute cool stuff found it's just a fantastic community and we are privileged to be the stewards of it so thank you i also want to thank cashfly at c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com for all the bandwidth it takes for us to get this show uh, from us to you. Hopefully your ISP and your DNS servers pick the right Cashfly point of presence. They have like over 30 of them all over the globe. So it's pretty cool. It's actually really cool uh, from a geeky standpoint. Uh, and then, of course, our sponsors. Gazelle at gazelle.com. Imazing at imazing.com. Coupon code MGG saves you 20%. Smile at smilesoftware.com slash geek always has the latest deals for you folks. Squarespace.com slash MGG, as we mentioned earlier. Lynda.com slash MGG for 10 free days. Otherworld Computing, which of course we talked about. MaxSales.com. Barebones Software at barebones.com. Drobo at drobostore.com. That's where you're going to go. Geek 100. It's going to save you 100 bucks right there. And Casper, casper.com slash M-G-G. Pete, it's a pleasure having had you here. Any lasting advice, just in case you don't make it back for a couple of shows? I just want to tell everybody while I'm gone, be careful and don't get caught. Made up.